It's time to make the dough rise, the financial podcast with Brian Doe. It's episode 24 of Make the Dough Rise. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Brian Doe, certified financial planner at Livingworth Wealth Advisors, serving you in the Lake Country and beyond with an office in Greensboro, Georgia. Brian has more than two decades of financial services experience, and he brings that to the table each and every time we join together here on this podcast. Go to livingworth.com to listen to past episodes of the show and to subscribe. Brian, looking forward to our part two conversation about investor rules of thumb. And today we're going to be focusing on distribution and uh, that part of the equation. This should be a lot of fun. And we have joining us once again on the show today, Carrie Debs, also certified financial planner. Are you ready for today's episode? I am ready, Walter. Glad to be with you both. Glad to hear it. And uh, Brian, how about you? Rearing and ready to go? Bring it on. Let's go. (laughs) All right, so we covered in part one, as a quick recap, what savers need to be thinking about. If you haven't listened to part one of the conversation, just go back one episode to number 23 and give a little listen. We talked about saving for retirement, some of the rules of thumb to be thinking about, the rule of 72, emergency funds, how much is appropriate to have set aside in cash, and what it means to really buy on the dips in the market and what that tells us about our retirement planning and saving. What do we mean here, Brian and Carrie, when we now turn the page to the distribution side of things? Let's focus on that first. What's that delineation between accumulation and now distribution? So the definition of distribution, meaning when you are now removing monies from the portfolio, as in spending (laughs) the money. So we want to always make sure that we uh, remind people that They will be spending it. We want them to spend it. But there are common issues that we that we come across often. And so when you are in the distribution phase, meaning taking money out of the portfolio, spending it, when to do the withdrawals, you know, people simply just don't know when to withdraw, how often, how to manage the investments during that process while you're removing the money. Does that change the way the monies are invested? And the answer to that obviously is yes, we'll get into that. And is, are there lifestyle adjustments that need to take place along the way while you are removing the money and spending it? Are, do you need to be aware that your lifestyle may need to adjust depending on different market cycles or um, even different emergencies that come up in life? So these are things that come up very commonly. And I, I know Brian being the wealth of stories and examples has some more specificity to put on that. Yeah, and Walter, let me just uh, add to that. The habits and the rules and the things that we come to know and get comfortable with in the accumulation stage as we're saving, as we're working, as we're putting money into 401ks, the health benefits programs that we have and the way we you know, use our checkbooks and our savings and and pay our taxes and all that stuff. That is one whole set of rules and infrastructure that we get very familiar with as as we move through our working lives. Then when you retire and you switch to withdrawals, you switch to Medicare, you start claiming pensions and social securities and drawing from retirement accounts, a lot of the rules change or the, the way the market behaves and the way taxes intersect with all of these issues can have profound impact on your bottom line. And so we're, we're going to take a look at some of the rules of thumb regarding 
the withdrawal or distribution stage of your retirement savings and flesh out whether those are correct or how you could use them as a barometer uh, to make sure you're properly managing your portfolio and your retirement income. So one of the things I'm hearing is that this transition from accumulation to distribution is easier said than done. The actual execution of this is a little bit harder. Yes. I think uh, in the last episode, I referenced a quote by Ronald Reagan, and uh, I'll cover it again here uh, in case they missed that first episode. Now, he was referring to political opponents. I'm not going to get political again, but it's not so much what investors know to be true. It's what they know to be true that just isn't so. And that applies you know, very well to some of the rules of thumb. And I would say over the mailbox cocktail hour conversations that, uh, you know, people have regarding retirement, social security, uh, which accounts to draw from first. There's a lot of issues here. And I have seen more people get it wrong than get it right. And it always tends to come back to your individual circumstances. So what's right for your next door neighbor uh, may be perfectly right for them, but because your structure and, and situation is different, uh, that same rule may not be true for you. Well, let's start off with the withdrawal rates as one of those rules of thumb. I've always heard this uh, kind of default that people go to, the 4% rule. If you withdraw 4%, you'll be fine, is sort of what it boils down to. But I've also heard plenty of people kind of go against that line of thinking and taking it with a grain of salt at a bare minimum. What's your understanding and your approach as you guys work with clients when it comes to withdrawal rates? Well, so let me talk about the technical aspect of that rule. And that is based on historical rates of return for the market. And they assume that you enter retirement with a fully invested portfolio and that you are going to withdraw four, five, maybe even 6% from your portfolio for the duration of retirement. So if you retired with a million dollars, you could take 40, 50, $60,000 per year out of the account. And if you achieved historical rates of return on a linear basis, that withdrawal rate would allow you to maintain your lifestyle, keep up with inflation, and you know, maybe have a little bit of money left over. And uh, there, there's a couple of categories of people. There's those that they want to spend their last dollar and have their final check to the IRS bounce. And at the other end of the spectrum, you've got people that want to leave a legacy or maybe they have a need or something that they uh, want to leave money behind. So what withdrawal rate you use and then uh, what actually happens with the market over your retirement uh, time period will have a big impact on your final result with your portfolio. And, and Walter, the reason this has become so critical is because today we are living much longer. We're not having these 10-year retirements where if, if you get this a little bit wrong, the, the consequences aren't that bad. Uh, it's the, you know, the analogy of a, a ship. If you have two ships leave a port and they're you know, two degrees off in their trajectory, 
you know, 10 miles down the road, they're, they're not very far apart, but a, a thousand miles down the road, they're on other sides of the world. So this becomes important because if you don't factor in sequence of returns, taxes, being able to adjust your withdrawal rate based on what the market does, and you don't have any control of your expenses, it can, it can really um, be detrimental in the long run. Yes. And what you're saying, Brian, really can remind both of us of many stories where this rule has, has come into play. And as advisors, our goal is to guide people to success in their investment and, and, and to achieve their goals. So part of this withdrawal rate, this magic number that Walter mentioned that you know has traditionally been 4%, conceivably what we want people to do is be able to take, say, 4% out of their portfolio and preserve that nut that nest egg, so that they can continue to take whatever this percentage is out, but not deplete the portfolio. And what we will find is we'll sit down with people, we'll have a plan laid out, and we'll sh- the portfolio is worth whatever it's worth, and it's in different asset classes, and we come up with a percent that will sustain their lifestyle. And then, boom, reality hits. So we can do all the planning in the world and couple examples of reality are the market, the financial crisis of 2008, where I had a client was in his early 60s, um, had a, a very good long career. His wife even worked. He was, he's, he was a doctor and she was a nurse. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, 2008 hits. And here we had calculated based on the portfolio value, what percent could be removed so they could spend on their lifestyle. And the really cool thing was is that they came to me without me going to them because they had understood the concept and they said, you know what, I think we're going to have, I'll just use the name John and Betty, we're going to have John probably stay working uh, for a couple more years. Now, it wasn't that he was upset about that, it was that he truly understood that this retirement that they had planned would really not be what they had envisioned if they started with a a portfolio that could not sustain the amount they wanted to spend on their lifestyle. So when Brian just referred to something called sequence of returns, if you're about to retire and the sequence of all the returns that our calculations show us are the worst returns of your retirement, that will definitely could be a factor that changes the outcome of when you retire. Now, therefore, the people could still retire, but the percent that they will be removing from the portfolio will need to go down for a period of time. So this percent is, think about it as the amount that you're taking out, the percent of the portfolio, and is that going to get you to all of the things that you said you were going to be spending your money on? And, and that's a real example. And, and matter, matter of fact, I think it was um, about three years later, and in that example, John retired, and then a couple of years later, his wife did, and the plan was able to proceed the way they had envisioned it, and everyone was happy. I was happy that they understood the concept, and more importantly, they were happy that now they could go on and, and have the uh, retirement that they had envisioned. And the fancy word there, Walter, is dynamic withdrawal strategy. So if you're able to adjust your discretionary spending or maybe delay the big trip or something like that. But you, if you can meet your expenses, the, the properly calculated plan may have enabled the client to retire. But then when the market recovered, they could go back to the aspirational 
type spending. And uh, you, what you need to know is, do you have the ability to adjust uh, to these market changes? And, and if you're going to follow this withdrawal strategy, there's other ways to do it. We, we won't have to get too far into it. But just as a rule of thumb, you know, again, this is one that's historically accurate, uh, mathematically correct. But the emotional side of it is what we're trying to help people maneuver around. It always comes down to those two things. It was prevalent in our last show in part one of this conversation, prevalent again here in part number two, and I have a feeling it may not be the last time we talk about it as well in relation to some of these other rules of thumb that we want to work through. So pretty good coverage there on withdrawal rates, giving us a lot to think about, Carrie and Brian. Uh, Interesting thoughts on both sides there. What about our next item, another rule of thumb for those of us who are in that distribution phase of life, or if you're a approaching that phase of life, what you should be thinking about. And it's our good old friend, Social Security. And I know so many people kind of default to the, I'm going to take it as soon as I can and get it before it's gone. But that assumption may not be the right one for most people. (laughs) This is another one of my favorites, Walter. I know in the segment on accumulation, I said emergency and rainy day fund was my favorite. This is really one of my favorite Social Security for exactly the reason you just said it. We've paid into it our whole lives. We see it on every paycheck. They take out a big slice for Social Security. And we want this money. And we are absolutely right. We deserve this money. But again, if we're trying to minimize the emotions here and and really think about the longer-term future with people living longer lives, there's three basic choices if we were to boil it down with Social Security that you have. And that's to take it when you're first eligible at age 62 or to start taking Social Security at what's called full retirement age, which, by the way, used to be 65. It then went up to 66, and now for the, uh, it'll go up to 67 and max out there. So some people, their full retirement age will be 67. And then the third choice is to wait until you're 70. The advantage of waiting longer in all of those examples is that the amount of your monthly Social Security benefit, it goes up slightly. And specifically between your full retirement age, which for a lot of people will be 67 um, to 70, the monthly amount goes up by 8% per year. So in in effect, if you wait those three extra years, you're getting 24% more by waiting till age 70 than you would have had at age 67. So this is a, it's a very important choice. The other aspect of this is if there are two wage earners, so for a married couple versus a single person, there are strategies for when one of the parties can take their their uh, their social security first and then the second person, usually the person who has the higher benefit would wait the longest. And one of the reasons there is if that person does pass away and there's a survivor benefit for the for the other spouse, that surviving spouse does indeed get that higher number for the rest of his or her life. So it, there are strategies. There's more to it than just the the baseline. I want to take it as soon as possible because I paid into it. So with advice on longevity and what your spending is going to be, and if you're married or single, all of these things can come into play. Yeah. And to give you a real life example, and this, this may reveal who this actually is because of uh, circumstances, but I had a family member who was retired, retiring, retired, and uh, had actually been in the ministry, Minister of Missions, and had exempted 
from Social Security because of the, the pension and savings plan that they had, but had some earnings from you know previous uh, non-religious non, uh, affiliated work, qualified for a very small benefit, spouse, high-earning uh, medical career. And so the experience in ministry and theology was was deep and and vast but uh mathematically and and uh financially the this family member was not always you know interested in or or fully understanding what was going on with the portfolio but man when it came to social security claiming he became a guru with a calculator and i was trying to explain that if you will wait to start drawing Social Security, you'll get a larger benefit, you'll get the spousal benefit, and the big issue, longevity, and the survivor benefit is dramatically higher. So I said, yes, you will be, you'll be missing a few checks in the short run, but what you're really wanting to use Social Security for is that longevity protection that survivor amount and and keep that as high as possible. But man, he tallied up every check he was going to miss by waiting for that larger amount and had done break-even analysis. And, and and to be fair, I mean he was he was making very good points and and doing the he was looking at it, you know, from the right technical analytical standpoint. But it's very hard to envision 10, 15, 20, you know, even 25 years in the, the future, why you would want to delay and wait uh, for that Social Security benefit. So we arm wrestled back and forth on this, you know, multiple times and ultimately came to a compromise that was somewhere between full retirement age and the maximum benefit at, at 70. But uh, this is really a tough one because you have to think about longevity. And in this case, one of the parties involved had both parents live well into their 90s. So I said, you know, you've got this longevity issue. You really need to work to get this right because that benefit that you draw, besides the 8% increase that you get annually, you also get the cost of living adjustments and then the cost of living adjustments on the actual benefit that you draw. So when we talk about compounding and time and, and all those uh, things like we were with the, the rule of 72 uh, in the previous episode. Well, the same applies here. And that dollar amount may look very tantalizing to draw it as early as possible. But if you can wait, it does a lot to protect you in the long run, to protect a surviving spouse. And uh, it, it also actually eliminates some a longevity risk and sequence of return risk that we were referring to in the previous episode. So I know that's a lot, but suffice it to say that social security claiming, it's hard to overlook how seriously you should take that topic and really do a deep dive into the analysis of the different claiming strategies. And then what are the dynamics within your spousal arrangement, ages, potential for longevity, and need. I mean, obviously, sometimes if you need it or you have to have it, that's that's one case. But if you can delay it, there are tremendous benefits in the long run. And, and I would jump in there, Brian, and say that even for the most vigorous number crunchers, as in the example that you, you gave, this is a 
a place where having it down on paper, showing people a very simple um, analysis that shows the total dollar amount that you would be able to collect um, using average life expectancies. Seeing it on paper, the total dollar amount received from Social Security by either one person, a single person or a couple, that is where the light bulb really comes on when you show it on paper. So people have an idea in their head, they, they're emotional, but when you show them on paper the total dollar amount that is projected for them to receive, it becomes a lot clearer and a lot easier to consider waiting even an extra one or two years, and in your case, again, coming to a compromise. So I highly, that's where as an advisor, we really come in if we can show people written down on a piece of paper, very simple summation of the concept. Yeah, there's that one. And the other one I get the biggest reaction to is survivor benefit. Because obviously, whichever spouse, regardless of which spouse qualifies for which benefit, the survivor gets to keep and maintain the larger of the two. And when you look at the larger survivor benefit, there's a lot of comfort in knowing that your surviving spouse is going to have that much larger number in the future. And I think that gives people a lot of security and the ability to you know, delay or wait and, and use their portfolio in the short term. So complicated topic, plenty more there, Walter, with, uh, but I think that's, that's probably about as much as we could do on it right now. I think the rule of thumb, if we're kind of identifying rules of thumb here, is uh, when it comes to Social Security to do the research and work with somebody who knows what they're doing and making sure it fits into all of your plans. So don't just assume anything when it comes to Social Security. See how it fits in. Do a little bit of effort and research into figuring out what's going to be your best option. And don't just uh, take your assumptions and bank on them. That's definitely key, I think, as a rule of thumb goes for retirees and folks transitioning into that distribution phase of life. I think uh, of all of these rules of thumb, this is the one that is most not a rule of thumb. But this, this is the one that is the trickiest and actually is most applicable at an individual level. And so despite who you talk to on the golf course or wherever, or if you believe Social Security is going bankrupt, Social Security has never missed a payment. The entity that runs the program can literally print money. They'll do some things to, to fix it along the, the way, and they're going to have to. But uh, there's not been anyone who has not received their Social Security benefit to date. It's a great point. So the rule of thumb is that don't follow any rules of thumb when it comes to <laughs> Social Security. Amen. There you go. All right, good. Preach. Good. That's a succinct way to put it. Uh, what about asset allocation? We've identified that as another rule of thumb that we want to cover for folks in that distribution phase of life. Is this that old uh, your age? Subtracted from 100 tells you how much stock you're supposed to have in your portfolio, that kind of thing? You nailed it, Walter. That's exactly what it is. And the, the thinking always was, is as you were older and you were in retirement and in distribution mode, you needed to be safer, take less risks, and uh, you just, just bolt down that money so you had it in bonds or CDs and, and things like that. Well, a couple of things. We're living a lot longer, so this time period that we have to invest is is much longer. And we're now in this environment with very low rates of return on cash and bonds. So I have really been pushing people to look at this, this rule of thumb as being far too conservative. 
Now, there's a lot of factors that, you know, that go into accepting that and, and being able to take on a, a different equity allocation or bonds or, or cash allocations. And there's ways to think about it. But boy, this one drives me crazy because uh, you've seen the rise of, of target date funds or age-oriented uh, investment strategies that will change for you automatically based on your retirement age. And I've, I've just got a lot of concern about people's ability to maintain their portfolios if, they've, if they go with such a uh, simple and, I would argue, outdated rule. And this is indeed a rule that is truly a rule of thumb that can be adjusted as needed, I would say, as all rules can be or should be. <laughs> but when we talk about age, the key here, if it's 100 minus your age equals the equity percentage of your portfolio, age is relative. And you could have a Brian, the 53-year-old, but he could be have a, a lot of longevity in his, in his uh, family, or he could just be the kind of person who really wants to max out his retirement. So we'll think of him as a really young 53-year-old. And 32 at heart, Carrie, 32. There you go. And, and, you know, if I'm just looking at you, I think you're 32 anyway, Brian. But, uh, you know, that is, that's key here. So in Brian's example, 100 minus 53 equals 47% uh, stocks. You know, that sounds a little bit on the conservative side. So this is a rule of thumb. Brian would be the kind of person who would adjust up. So, you know, in terms of how much equities he would have in his portfolio. On the other hand, I could be sitting down talking to a client who has saved really well her whole life and is, is very conservative and wants to, doesn't need to live high on the hog in retirement, really wants to have a steady, predictable retirement. And that would be a more conservative, say, 53-year-old. So again, that would be someone who could use the rule of thumb and, and be more conservative. Therefore, that person may need to do two things. Number one, continue to save as aggressively as possible. And number two, spend um, more conservatively. So this rule of thumb is really where the conversation starts. And if you, you know, use this, this ideal equity percentage number, understand yourself more, understand your personality, how you're going to spend in retirement, how you think of yourself, a little bit about longevity of family, and then use the rule to your advantage that way. I would say that, that that's a conversation that, that could be um, had around this rule. And Walter, one thing that uh, I've used with retirees and people in the distribution mode is uh, kind of a barbell approach. So instead of having lots of, and lots of bonds, we have a long-term high dividend equity exposure, but I hold enough cash, CDs, short-term bonds, you know, ultra conservative stuff that we could go five or 10 years before we needed to sell any of the equity positions. And so when you start to look at things from a strategy standpoint and a income and cash flow, uh, what are the risks? There are actually you know, a lot more risks to owning bonds, uh, credit risk, obviously in this environment, rising interest rate risks. So, so the notion that bonds are just categorically safe is increasingly not true. If you come at this from an approach that gives you the time period that you need, and again, it's temperamental. You know, what, what's your disposition and 
tolerance for for market volatility if you if, if you can't stand it you know then then obviously you have to do what you have to do but um, you know my, my portfolios are, are are more of the barbell lots of equities with enough cash to to ride me through the storm and this is a this is an opportunity to truly educate our clients if social security is one of my favorite topics asset allocation clearly is one of the most important concepts if we can educate clients that understanding an asset allocation that is going to be appropriate for them to you know, achieve their goals, that is where we truly have made a difference. So um, I try to harp on asset allocation as much as I possibly can and make it a positive way to tell a story. And then this calculation is, is just another way to communicate with, with a client. I think it's interesting to cover all these different things from withdrawal rates to social security to asset allocation, and it underscores and underlines that difficulty that people do have from that many, many years, I mean, decades worth of mindset in the accumulation stage to now transitioning to the distribution side and all the financial components that come along with it. But the conversation doesn't just stop there. I mentioned we'd probably circle back to the emotional side of things as well. And that's the other transition point that seems to happen here, Brian and Carrie, is people struggle with you live your life one way for 30 or 40 years, and then all of a sudden, Whoop, you got to, you know, pull this cord and kind of live life very differently when you reach retirement. And that's another thing that people, just like the financial side, aren't prepared for sometimes. So we gather so much of the meaning in our life and the structure and the friendships and the sense of purpose from the, the routines and the people we interact with and the things that we do and the contribution that we make when we're working. And I think a lot of people, you know, lose sight of that. You get caught up in the aggravation of, you know, the traffic and the work and the, you know, everything that has to be done and the hustle bustle. And you can't wait to retire. Oh, I just can't. I'm going to sit on the beach and drink margaritas and it's going to be golf and nothing but kumbaya. And really, <laughs> I, we've, we've seen a lot of um, depression, boredom, uh, aggravation with spouse. All of a sudden, your, your spouse is now in the house all day. Every day. and uh, Coronavirus may have been a trial run for some couples of what retirement's going to look like, right? Yeah, we, we, we were joking the other night. We said that uh, nine months from now, there's either going to be, we'll, we'll know who has good relationships because there's either going to be a divorce spike or a baby boom. And that'll, uh, that will reveal whose relationships are good and, uh, and maybe not, not so good. <laughs> so yes, uh, Walter, absolutely. I have even characterized this coronavirus stage as a warm-up for retirement for some, and that we were, we've were we been thrust into uh, very close quarters with our family, whether it's our children, our parents, extended family, but well, probably less so in extended family, but just parents and children and then spouses being, you know, literally right side by side at the same kitchen table working. This has been a warm-up for retirement, and perhaps we can use this as a constructive way to talk more about what we really want to happen someday, and then maybe even stagger retirement so that you don't just have two people, bam, retired at the same time. It may be more healthy for a relationship to have one person retire and then see how that is going money-wise, income-wise, spending-wise, and then have the second person retire. So this truly has been a, a warm-up for retirement in some ways. Yeah, it gives people an opportunity. I, I, I never have a problem with boredom. I have so many things that I would like to get to. And with all the resources that we have with uh, the internet and YouTube and, you know, 
audiobooks and streaming everything, I can find and learn and just find myself completely engrossed in things. So shocker, a, a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, th- there's a lot of people that um, you know if, if they if they don't have the interests or the hobbies because they've neglected those because of a grinding career and a busy schedule that they've had that that they're going from 100 miles an hour down to zero all of a sudden. Uh, it's worth exploring and looking for these things a little bit in advance, or if you can even find something where you can transition. I've known some people in the medical field where they were able to you know, retire, but then they could pick up uh, what's called locums work. They'll, they'll do you know, part-time work at uh, hospitals or the Veterans Administration or, or places that need somebody to fill in. And those transition opportunities really gave them a chance to you know, cycle in and out of work and in, in retirement for a few years. And and those are the ones that I've seen have a healthier initial adoption of retirement, uh, better better relationships and, and adjustment with their spouse and and certainly the extra income, you know, never hurts. Yeah. Always helpful to have those backup plans and have plans for the future. I mean, uh, boredom is not an excuse. Life is too interesting to be boring. Uh, There's way too much to get involved with and things that can always be improved upon and bettered. Now, if you need to relax a little bit, you know, then sure ahead, go ahead and bore yourself with relaxation. We'll, we'll allow that a little bit here and there. But yeah, for the most part, there shouldn't be any of that boredom in retirement. There should be other ways to stimulate the mind and uh, keep things moving forward and get into new things. Um, it just takes a little bit of effort to, uh, to find those and discover them. We can't all be like Brian and have that come naturally. <laughs> Please <to us>. don't. <laughs> Maybe. It's tormentive. But all pizza all love- the time. That's there right. That's right. Learn how to make pizza as good as Brian. That can be your challenge, and that'll keep you from getting bored. It'll be a lifetime cook off. <laughs> you'll get some good food along the way too. So, <laughs> maybe after a few trial pizzas, then you'll be onto the good stuff. Uh, well, this is fascinating and great to cover. I think really important to cover as well because we're talking about this really important transition that you kind of only get one shot at. Uh, you only really have one chance to prepare for this and then execute it after years and years of working toward that moment of retirement. You only have one chance to then enter it properly. And uh, there's a lot to consider. And we've covered some of those things on today's show. And we've really just scratched the surface of all this. But if it's intrigued you to bring up some additional questions, you want to get a look at your financial plan in a little bit more detail with Brian, you can certainly do that by going to calendly.com slash bdo, B-D-O-E. And you can schedule a time to meet with Brian and get on his calendar here in the near future. If you can't remember that address off the top of your head, just check the description or the show notes of today's episode, and you'll be able to find that link to go schedule that meeting with Brian. That's calendly.com slash bdo. Or you can go to lakecountryretirement.com. That's lakecountryretirement.com. And that's where you can sign up for the online course and learn how to insulate your plan from market declines. So if you want to learn more about preparing properly for retirement and your financial future, this online course is a great way to do it. And Brian, you talked about it a little bit on the last episode. This helps replace some of the in-person education that you've done over the years. Now that we're kind of in a social distancing mode for a little while here, you've brought a lot of that great material and educational opportunities online. And that's uh, a great resource for folks. Yeah, a couple things real quick. That, that's something I've been meaning to do as we've done a lot of live seminars over the years. And the coronavirus is going to you know, certainly 
change the dynamic of how we can find and get information. So we, this has been an aspirational thing of, uh, that I've had on the back burners for some time, and this is going to give me the oppor- opportunity to accelerate and create what will probably be a, like an 11 critical years uh, masterclass for retirement. And we're going to take all the presentations and materials and topics and you know, social security we'll do deep dives on. But to get started, we've put up an initial uh, series of, of topics around building a buffer so that if you're retiring into a down market, you can structure your, your portfolio accordingly. And uh, also the topics that we covered on this episode of the show uh, we left off before we did the uh, rules of thumb with the Greek uh, analytic tools. We're going to come back around next time to Gamma. And the topics that we talked about today are truly the areas where a, a good advisor will add significant value to your portfolio, to your peace of mind, to the longevity of your portfolio, to the tax efficiency. All of these things are the elements that make for a good gamma metric. So for next time, we'll uh, circle back around to the Greek alphabet. Yeah, and maybe we'll have a reappearance of that Elvis version of the Greek alphabet. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see. We, I need to pull out the old Elvis suit, Brian, and I think we were promising people a duet, perhaps. Well, I don't know about duet, unless, uh, <laughs> unless Carrie wants to come back. And <laughs> Carrie, Walter did a really nice, uh, he, had a, a, he broke into the Greek alphabet in song, something he, he, he had learned somewhere along the way to, to learn the Greek alphabet. It, uh, you, you'll have to go listen to the episode. Yeah, I think, I think it had to be there, but I really would like to hear that one. <laughs> <laughs> not, well, if you're not up one for of my it, best he needs moments. To, <laughs> yeah, we'll do we'll do an acapella uh, version next time. Sounds great. There you go, fantastic. Well, again, if you want to find out more information about the course that Brian has assembled and the great education that's there, go to LakeCountryRetirement.com. All you need is a name and an email address, and you can take part in the course for free. Just go to LakeCountryRetirement.com. And again, we'll put that link in the description and show notes of today's episode. Well, Carrie, thank you for joining us for the last two editions of Make the Dough Rise. A pleasure as always uh, getting the opportunity to have you on as a guest and chat with you. And we'll look forward to having you back on the show again here soon. Absolutely. Thank you both for having me, guys. And, and Brian, it's really fun to be a colleague of yours. So please have me back anytime. Would love to do it. Thanks for your help, Walter. All right. Thank you, Brian. For Brian and Carrie, I'm Walter Storholt. We'll look forward to talking to you again next time right back here on Make the Dough Rise. Make the Dough Rise is brought to you by Living Worth Wealth Advisors with a central office in Greensboro, Georgia, but serving the Lake Country and beyond. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all your favorite podcasting apps. Subscribe today and never miss an episode. Just search for Make the Dough Rise with Brian Doe. You can also visit MakeTheDoughRise.com to listen to recent episodes. If you'd like to contact the show or schedule a complimentary financial review with Brian and the team, just go to MakeTheDoughRise.com and get in touch through the website. Or call 706-451-9800. Thanks for listening to Make the Dough Rise. Investment advisory services offered through Main Street Financial Solutions, LLC. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed.